You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue through the Psalms as Pastor Josh preaches from Psalm 19. We pray that God would speak to, encourage, and challenge us as we hear from His Word. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Psalm 19? That is our text for today. As you are turning there, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. I know if you were here last week or if you watched last week, if you were watching right now and you watched last week, uh, more, more than likely you, you, were, you were met with many different emotions. Uh, and, and it could be emotions that, that you are well acquainted with, things that you deal with on a regular basis. But maybe, just maybe, you are in this room and, and you are met with emotion that, that you did not expect to see on that day. Um, maybe emotion that you thought were long in your past who came running back and flooding your mind's eye. And, and I am so proud of, of, of you for how you embrace that and you take all of that and you surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I would tell you um, that it was countless uh, conversations through, through in-person, through email, through text message, through phone call, through, through, through different avenues of communication that we have nowadays. And, and most of them started with the phrase, I need help. If I could tell you, if you weren't here last week, I would, I would encourage you to go back and, and to watch that, that sermon. Go back and, and read Psalm 13, read Psalm 10. But I, I want to encourage you with this, that just because the invitation ended last week, that does not mean that the Lord stopped moving. The Lord is good and he is faithful to meet us in all places and all times, to meet us on our best days or our hardest days. And so I want to tell you, I am so thankful for you and I am so proud of you. I am honored to be your pastor. I want you to remember this. God is big enough to handle all of your brokenness. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he has you. And in all of that, we can trust that he is good. And so I just wanted to spend some time this morning at the top of the message. Uh, you'll see that today is, is going to be much different than last week, where maybe last week was pretty weighty and heavy. Uh, this week is, is more, more upbeat in tone. Uh, and some of you are like, whoa, I couldn't handle another week like last one. We're going to make it, church. We're going to make it, I promise. But before we jump in, I'm thankful that we were just able to share a prayer together about the 4th of July, but I don't want to miss an opportunity to call our church to celebrate and to prayer. Uh, hopefully, you are, are planning something to celebrate the 4th of July. Hopefully, you have some great barbecue in mind. If you do, call me up. We'll, we'll meet up. It'll be great. Uh, maybe, maybe it's going to be celebrated by a pool or a lake or a pond or a creek. Some of y'all are like, what's a pond and a creek? Pearl River County, that's our pool and our lake. Don't worry about that. We'll talk about that too. Um, if you're into fireworks, I pray that you enjoy those responsibly. Amen. Yes. But most of all, I hope that you would spend some time this week remembering our freedom and our independence and thanking God for it. Uh, and from that, there, there's a passage of Scripture that probably you will see posted many different times over the course of this coming week, one that you probably know all too well. Now, without jumping into a whole other sermon and giving you complete context for it, uh, it has very little to do with America's Independence Day, and it has so much to do with the dedication of the temple. Um, but it comes from Second Chronicles 7.14. I want to read that for you right now. 
This is the word of the Lord. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I am so thankful that you and I get the opportunity to live in this great United States of America. I'm so thankful for the freedoms that we have and and the independence that we get to walk in every single day. But hear me out, church, we need to be in prayer for our country. We need to pray at all times, in all places. This This is not a statement as of today. This is a statement as of all times. That we have this freedom and independence only because God saw fit and his providence to give it to us for a reason. And that reason is so the world would know his glory. I know there are other places around the world that don't have the same independence and freedom, but they are no less powerful in the gospel work. And so we ask this morning as we come to the Lord in prayer before we jump into our sermon text that the Lord would indeed hear our prayer as we repent, as we turn, as we say to the Lord Jesus, our lives belong to you. We want to honor you with our lives and our freedom. So church, if you would join me as we pray for our country. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come. We are even more thankful to know that we, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, are people who are called by your name. In that power, in that majesty and responsibility, we come to you and we humble ourselves. We seek your face this morning and with every breath that we have left in our bodies. I pray, Father, that you would show us our wicked ways that we may turn from them. I pray, Father, in all the ways that you have already shown us, the things that are in our life that shouldn't be, we would be actively running from them. For we do not come to you this morning looking for you to fulfill an equation or to finish a formula, but your word does tell us that if we come and we, pay, we pray and we repent, then you will hear from us. You will forgive us. And you will heal our land. Father, we desperately need you to heal our land. We thank you for all the celebration that will happen this week. I thank you for the, the fellowship. I thank you for the, the delicious food. I thank you for the fun. But Lord, I do pray that we understand that you have not placed us here by happenstance. You have placed us here by your sovereign appointment. And in that appointment, God, you have called us to be heralds of the gospel. To understand that our allegiance, yes, Father, we are thankful for our homeland. But we understand that this is not where we will end for an eternity. And so, Father, we pledge our ultimate allegiance to you and your kingdom that may come. And we ask that you would give us, through the blessing of our United States of America, an opportunity to be more bold in our proclamation of the gospel, to be more courageous in our love and our faithfulness to your word. So help us, Father, in all that we do this week, acknowledge you. In all that we do this week, point others to your goodness. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray and all God's people said, amen.
Well, church family, as we get ready to jump into Psalm 19, uh, as I have said just a few moments ago, uh, this, this is a little different. It's going to feel a little different. And, and, and there's a little fun that I believe David is, is, is calling his readers and singers to understand as they sing. Uh, it's a little bit of an inception moment. There's this idea and midway through, David is going to use an illustration inside of an illustration inside of another illustration to point to the glory of God. So as we get ready to jump in, let's start at the end. So go to verse 14, verse 14 of Psalm 19. This is probably a verse that you have heard many different times. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I think we should pray this, this psalm, this prayer, every day, every morning, every night. As we go throughout the day, like this, this should be our heartbeat. God, make, make all that is coming out of my mouth glorifying to you and pleasing to you, and make all that is yet to come out of my mouth glorifying and pleasing to you. Now, this psalm isn't going to go too far into it, but I'm going to let your mind run a little bit. It is easier for us as believers in Jesus Christ to let everyone know that this part, this part that speaks words, that we love the Lord. So when they hear us, when they see us talking in conversation, they would say, wow, that that person may love the Lord Jesus. They speak differently than, than the rest of the world. I would be curious, though, if they had the ability, they being an outside world, had the ability to look inside your heart and maybe see the words that didn't come out. To see the thoughts that didn't manifest in action just yet. Does the meditation of your heart and the words spoken out of your mouth, do they equal the same thing? Now, you said, Josh, we ain't getting heavy. You already got heavy. I'm tired of it. I hear you. We, we, we're going to get there. This is good stuff. The, the purpose of all of Scripture is to transform us more in the likeness of the God who created us. Now remember, pre-Genesis 3, we walked perfectly with our Father. In the fall, in Adam and Eve's fall, we are marred completely and eternally until something incredible happens, and then Christ comes and makes us whole again, allows us to become right with the Father again. And it's in that moment that we are made born again that we start this long process It's a big church word, are you ready? Called sanctification. And this is an idea that every day, so justification, going back to Romans, justification is what happens in the moment. We are saved in the moment. But sanctification is what happens once we become born again. It is the process that the Holy Spirit works inside of our heart, causing us to repent of sin and love holiness as we look more and more like Christ every single day. As we look back to the Psalms, we see God already working this in the hearts and the minds of his own people. And we are going to see this clearly in Psalm 19. So as as we look to this, we are beginning to wonder. All right, so if, if we want the meditation of our heart and we want the words of our mouth to be pleasing to God, is that on God or is that on us? That's a question maybe, maybe you've asked, or, or maybe if you haven't asked it, you begin to live it, because maybe it's this. You wake up in the morning and say, God, if you want my mouth to be nice today, then you're going to have to make it. <laughs> 
God, if you want the meditations in my heart to be holy today, you're going to have to change a lot of things about me. Or is there something that you and I do? Do we meet God somewhere in this journey of we pray God change us, but we also know that by his grace we have the ability to choose holiness or not? And I think the answer to that is somewhere around yes. Yes, it is all on God, and yes, it is on us as well. More to that as we, we jump in, okay? So, so with that in mind, it's both, both and. Is it on God? Yes. Is it on us? Yes. Here is how we navigate that. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All right, so as we live this life, we are surrounded by constant declaration of God's glory. Every time we look into the heavens, that's the sun, the moon, and the stars, we experience the declaration of his glory. Now, if you've been around long enough, maybe you've heard us define this word glory. If you've been a Christian for about five and a half minutes, you've heard this word glory used before. But I want to give you more of an operational definition for it, or at least a better understanding of it. Glory is a term for weight that proves authenticity. It's, it's a measurement of heaviness, and it's, it's this idea that if you were to take something that is, that is real— and then you were to take something that is a replica of something that is real, usually the real one is much heavier than the replica. You know it's fake by what it feels like. You know it's fake by how if you had examined the replica of something that's supposed to be real, you could tell that it is lacking many of the great details that the, the very real thing shows. And so when we speak of this glory, it is this idea of God's authenticity, that he is who he says he is. It is this weight that whenever we look at the scales of life, what is real and what is fake, God's glory is always going to be heavier than what is fake. And so when we get here, David, King David, who's writing this song for all of Israel to sing, is reminding them. That you necessarily, and we're going to get to the words, but you don't even have to have the word yet. All you have to do is walk outside and look into the sky. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. They are declaring 24-7, 365, God is glorious. Each time we look at creation, we see what God has done. He proves the point in this way. Look at verse 2. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. So, so we see this 24-7, 365. Creation is declaring as loud as it possibly can. God is real. God is true. And God is here. But creation's not only telling us that God is real, true, and present, but, he's, but creation is telling us of an order. And in this order, and this is probably the most important point to remember as we read through the Psalms in general, but specifically today, that in this order, the highest of the, the, the ascension on the throne of glory is not you and it's not me. That at the highest possible place where glory is being declared, you and I don't sit there, but there is one who is there. And so when we look to this text, we see that day to day, 
It is pouring out speech, night to night revealing knowledge. The glory and knowledge is for everyone at all times declaring with all of heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then we get to verse 3. It says, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now, this is kind of a strange statement. Like when you read it, and if you were to, to go to, to BibleGateway.com, maybe, maybe whatever Bible lookup you have, your, your Bible app, and you were to click a different version of the Bible, this verse is translated a little differently in, in most translations. But, but the heart of it, it, it is this. This declaration is not an audible one in the sense of human words and human hearing, but it is no less loud and it is no less eternal. Meaning this, that God, when he speaks, he doesn't speak in one language. God doesn't speak in one way that only one people group can hear him. That when God creates all of, of all that he has created, that in that he has set glory on display. That all people, all tribes, and all tongues will be able to look and know that there is a God. Verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. Everyone hears it. Everyone sees it. No one can say, I didn't know. Going back to Romans chapter 1, we're going to start all over. Let's do 30 more weeks. It'll be fun. Romans 1 verses 18, 19, and 20 say this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So that's the way the Apostle Paul puts it to the church at Rome. And we, we go back to Psalm 19, and then you can go back to, to, to Genesis and the creation accounts that God, when he creates, it is not haphazardly. God creates for a purpose, and that purpose is to declare his glory. Now, without getting too much into this, and this is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, you are the crowning jewel of that creation. So guess what your purpose is in this life? It is declare that he is glorious and he is holy by what we say and what we think. And that is why it is imperative that when we get to the end of this psalm, that David, King David, sings to the top of his lungs and invites all of Israel to join him. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And then the end of verse 4 says this, In them he has set a tent for the sun. One of the most noticeable aspects of God's creation and declaration of glory is the sun. That, that's his creation. Now, I want you to be aware, this is where the, the illustration jumps into the illustration, and then he'll dive off into another illustration. But I really think it's not going to be lost on us, particularly the power of the sun. David uses this illustration to make his point. Verse 5 which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber 
and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. All right, bridegroom is a strange word to a lot of people um, because we, we usually use, when we think of, of wedding vernacular, there is a bride and there is a groom. There's not necessarily a bridegroom. I want to be clear. There is a bridegroom. We just don't call it that, okay? So, so the bride uh, is in, in, our, in our wedding system, okay? That, that is the female who is, is going to be married. And then you have the groom who is the male who is coming and to, to wed the, the, the female. So we, we see that. But the word bridegroom is another word for groom. But the way that you understand weddings in the ancient Near East may be a little different than the way you understand weddings today because they're a little bit flipped. And I'm going to tell you why that's a good thing in just a second. This illustration may get a little bit lost, but in this context, in the biblical context, the wedding day is never really about the bride. Instead, the wedding day is always about the groom. For when the the groom were to come out of his tent or to come out of his room and begin to walk down to to be with his soon-to-be wife, all eyes were on the groom. I know that's a little bit different. That's actually completely opposite from the way that we understand it. But let me tell you why that's going to be important without jumping into another sermon. This is why at the end of time, we see the bridegroom, Jesus, coming back to collect us, the church, his bride. Notice when you read Revelation that whenever Christ returns, when the clouds are torn in two and the clouds roll back, nobody's looking at us. Nobody says, wow, look at that church. She sure is beautiful. All eyes are on the king of glory who's coming to get his church. Yeah, we give God praise for that, but I want you to understand this morning that, that I'm okay. Look, don't, don't hear me say, uh-oh, Josh, are you about to tell us we need to do our weddings differently? No. Do your weddings like you want to and don't tell me any different. But what I am telling you, when the king of glory comes down, and he will, and I pray it is soon, do not expect the spotlight to be on you. So what we see here is we have this picture of of the sun. That's the first illustration. Not S-O-N as in Jesus, but S-U-N, like that really hot thing out there that won't stop. I told you, we're going to understand this illustration very well. So when this bridegroom walks out, all eyes are on him. But we go back to the illustration. You'll you'll understand this. The sun is much like the bridegroom, the S-U-N. When it is out, all eyes are on it. There's no escaping its presence. Everywhere you go, you are reminded that it's there. I don't know about you guys. Have anybody spent any time outside in the last couple of days? You say, no, I tried to come inside. I stayed inside where the AC was on all day long. Great. You were cool until the power bill comes and you're not cool anymore. The sun is relentless, whether, and this this will preach, okay, but we're not going to get into the sermon. The sun is relentless, whether you want to look at it or not, it's still there. And you can try to hide yourself from it, but at some point it's going to end up costing you. And so the way that David writes this psalm, he says, God's glory is on display like the sun that brings warmth and brings insatiable heat. 
when you are in it, you can't hide from it. There may be moments in your life where you think you are away from it, meaning that you shelter from something else, but at some point you will pay for that shelter. The sun is a picture of God's glory. It is powerful and nothing can match it. But then he gives a second illustration, talking much like the sun, speaking to it, but more so about the glory of God. And he says it's like a strong man. Maybe your Bible says a champion. Running their race, some, something that the strong man, the champion is really good at with joy. Think of it this way. Think of the best player in, in whatever their respected sport is, and they're on their home turf. It's just fun to watch them because they're really good at what they do. And it seems to be when they are on home turf, they are even better than they are any other time. And they do it with great joy. So David goes on and shifts back now to the sun illustration pointing clearly to it. Look at verse six. It's rising is from the end of the heavens and it's circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So just to recap this first half, these first six verses, God has set his glory in creation. And it is for everyone to be able to see and experience. But nobody, nobody, no matter where they are on this globe, has the opportunity to say, I never saw his glory. For if they walked out and looked into the night sky, they saw his glory. If they woke up and went out into the morning sun, they felt the warmth of his glory. If they walked out in midday heat, they felt the nature of his presence and glory. He has spelled it out, not only though in experiential moments, but by his grace and the perf perfect word that he's trusted to us. Now let's look how David transitions to focusing on the scriptures. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So church, here, here's what we are to understand. God's law is to be more desired than a bucket of gold, and God's word to us, to our lips, to, to our heart, is to be sweeter and more enjoyable than if we had honey. All right, so, so maybe, maybe honey and gold are maybe a little bit lost on us. So let's try it a different way. What's the thing that you love the most here on this side of eternity, outside of Scripture? Like, what's that thing? I'm sure it could be a hundred different things for everybody in this room. So I want you to envision that thing, that thing that when you just set your mind on it, there is a dopamine hit in that brain, and you were like, yes, I can't wait to get back to that thing. Maybe, maybe you do it a different way because we're, we're all good Southern Baptists. What's the thing that you eat? 
The thing that when it touches your lips, you think, Lord, I hope you took all the calories out of this because the joy is in full force. Oreos. Bluebell ice cream. Ribeye steak, medium rare. I don't, what are we talking about here? Here we go. What, what's the thing in your life that when you think about it, you desire that more than anything else? This is what David is saying to the people of Israel and to us today, that whatever those things are, very real things, this isn't a metaphor, this is very real, that God's word should be esteemed higher than that thing and taste sweeter than that taste. Here, here, here's, here's what you may be thinking, Josh, that seemed like David was using hyperbole. It seems that David, you know, he, he used an illustration about an illustration just a moment ago. Is this another one of those stretches to help us get a better understanding that God's word should be important to our life? No, no, listen to me. I believe that this is not hyperbole at all. For, for God's people, that includes you and I, we should view God's word as more precious than anything this world could ever offer to us. That when we read it and when we meditate on it and we study it, it should be sweeter to us than any dessert we've ever tasted on this planet. But why? What, what would be so good about God's word that if that's not a stretch and that's supposed to be real, what's it going to do? I want you, again, when we read scripture and to understand it, we read it slowly. So let's just go back and look at some of the most important phrases here. God's word, his law, when, when we speak of the law, now, now again, without going too far into this, when, when David is writing Psalm 19, he does not have 66 books in view. I do believe the Holy Spirit does, but I don't believe that David does when he is writing. What does he have in view? He has the first five books of the Bible in view. And the Old Testament scholars in the room, there are two names that typically we would give to that. What would those two names be? One starts with a P. What's that one? Pentateuch. Very good. Uh, and another one is, starts with a, a T. What would that one be? The Torah. Right. So as we, we look to this, this text, th th those are the text in view, the first five books of the Bible. And so from that, David says, it's absolutely perfect. And if you read it, Deuteronomy 6, if you meditate on it day and night, when you wake up, when you go out, when you're coming back in and when you lay down, it tells you what it does. It says it revives your soul. It makes wise the simple. It makes the heart rejoice. It enlightens the eyes. It's clean and it's eternal. It's faithful and it's true. Now, to be clear, if you were to take that list of description and apply it to anything on this side of eternity, so whatever came to your mind's eye when I asked you, what is the thing that when you think about, you can't wait to get back to it because it's so good, none of those things that came up to your mind or my mind ever compare to this. They're not perfect, they're not true. They don't revive the soul. They don't make wise the simple. They don't make your heart rejoice eternally. They don't enlighten the eyes. It's not clean. It's not eternal. It's not faithful and it's not true. The only thing that is that is God's word. But then David goes on. And this is where I think we are going to find great application today as our worship team comes back up. Verse 11. Moreover, meaning everything that we've just read and now here's more. 
by them, by them being the law, God's word, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin and let them not have dominion over me. Then, then alone shall I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Oh, church, this is why it is imperative for us as followers of Jesus Christ to love this word and to be in this word, for in it, it warns us to to, to make sure we are not running opposite of what God has called us to do. We say that we want to be in good standing with God, and by the grace of Christ we are, and we want to say we want to give a good account, a good and faithful account for the life that we are living, and we desire that, but how do we know how to do that? God's word is how that is made clear. It warns us. It it keeps us from straying. How can we know? How, how can we know in our heart? You may have heard this. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and make sure you hear this the right way. We live in a world that tells you to follow your heart. Do not do that. Your heart is one of the most wicked things about you. Because if you're not careful and if all you do is listen to your heart, then eventually you are going to do only what you want to do. And then when we start putting religion in there, we'll, we'll make it out to be like God wanted us to do it anyway, because doesn't God want us to be happy? So if we can't follow that first and foremost, what do we follow? We follow God's word. It's pure. It's perfect. It's holy, it's eternal, it's right. It warns us of danger. It warns us of error. It warns us of sin. Sin that we didn't even know we were committing, but we are. Verse 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous and arrogance and knowingly, knowingly doing what God told us not to do. This is why another reason it is so imperative for us to continually be in God's word. How many times have you been to a worship service or a personal worship time in your car going to and from work or maybe at your house and you feel like God's presence was in that room and you wanted nothing to do with sin because God's presence was more than enough for you. And then all of a sudden, fast forward six hours, a day, two days, and you've not been in the word and you've not been in prayer. And that sin that disgusted you two days ago is mighty enticing today. And you stay out of the word. And what happens then is we arrogantly run to that sin and we say, God, I know that you say I don't need to do this, but I want it. God's word keeps us from that. It warns us of things that we don't know we're doing. And it calls us on the things that we know we are doing. It says, then I shall be blameless, innocent of great transgression." God's word, church, his holy law does that. So yeah, God's law is way better than a bucket of gold. 
It's way sweeter than honey. Because all of that is true. Because we have, by God's grace, been given God's law. We pray, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Church, I know you love God. You would you wouldn't live the kind of lives that you live if you didn't like like you have an affection and affinity for him. But as your pastor and as a fellow sojourner with you, I want to tell you this world is telling you things that will lead you off course. And what can happen? And this is the dangerous thing about religion and religiosity is we can begin to play the religious game and we'll use names that are familiar to Christianity. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, justification, sanctification, glorification. We'll use all those words. We'll put those names on parts and pieces, but we are not living the Christian life. We've just attached religious names to a very carnal way of life. I know that's not what we desire. I know that's not what we intend. But I'm telling you, left to our own heart, that is where it goes. So how do we fight that? How do we make sure we don't go that way? It is through this word. This book is holy and it is pure and it is right. It tells you the sin that you are in and graciously calls you out. It shows you the pitfalls that stand before you and graciously shows you another way. It reminds you of the created order time and time again that when you look up in the night sky, hmm, when you're sitting on your back porch watching the sun go down on another gorgeous day, This word will keep you from thinking, I did that. This life, I built that. This house, I did that. Those cars, that boat, this job, this world, I did that. No, you did not. God did that. And at the end of the day, if it's you and it's him, His glory will always outweigh yours. This word keeps us true to that. So we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Church, would you pray with me? O Holy Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come in your house to be reminded yet again of of truth that we know. But Lord, I pray that it continues to refine us. It continues to sanctify us. I pray, Father, that you would quicken our souls that whenever we walk out of this place today, even now, that when we feel the heat radiating 
we will say thank you, God, for your glory. We will be reminded that there is nowhere that we can go to be apart from it. Tonight, when the sun goes to the other side of this world and we see the moon and the stars, may we be reminded of your glory. When we open your word and we taste and see just how good you truly are, may we be reminded of your glory. For you are glorious, God. We pray now that you would do all that you deem fit to make our mouths and our hearts be the same, declaring your glory to the ends of the earth. Help us, Father, as we come to this response time, as we get ready to give tithes and offerings. We ask, Father, that you would receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?